0: The What and Why of the Ark. Thoughts on Parshat Noach. My grandchildren love to play with my collection of wooden Noah's Ark figures. Some figures have a small Noah holding a staff and movable animals. When I clean up after my grandchildren, I have to make sure the kids keep the animals in pairs. They adore this story. The image appears on kids wallpaper and in their books. It's the stuff of toys. The only problem is that the Noah story is hardly a happy tale for children. It's a story of immorality, of loss and despair. The land takes its revenge on society and destroys all within its path. Even the closing covenant God made with Noah contained a note of the tragic. Never again will I doom the earth because of man, since the devisings of the human mind are evil from youth, nor will I ever again destroy every living being as I have done as it says in Genesis 8:21, God's promise never to destroy the world again is predicated on a lowering of expectations. Humans will forever be flawed. I'm not gonna tell my young grandchildren the whole story just yet. Maybe the only way we can understand this story is by standing with Noah before he built the ark, by reading Genesis 6, verses 13 to 17. I've decided to put an end to all flesh for the earth is filled with lawlessness because of them. I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make it an ark with compartments and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. Its width, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make an opening for daylight in the ark and terminate it within a cubit of the top. Put the entrance to the ark In its side make it with bottom second and third decks for my part i'm about to bring the flood waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh under the sky in which there's breath of life everything on earth shall perish imagine for a moment a divine voice calling out to you with an important task that you and only you can actualize Aside from a few family members, there will be no one to assist you. You are on your own. Your world will narrow into this one responsibility for the foreseeable future. But surprisingly, it is to create something rather prosaic. You're told to build a ship and to populate that ship with a pair of animals from every species. You try to prepare yourself mentally for the assignment, but you still cannot understand its significance. Unsure of how large this boat should be, you pay careful attention to the dimensions God commands. You read the instructions a dozen times and make a list of what you'll need. You don't want to get it wrong. The job is too important. You create an architectural rendering of the ark. You wake up with the dawn. Hammer in hand, you spend all day in the hot near eastern sun, nailing boards together. Everyone around you laughs. They jokingly look for the body of water where you're going to place your ship. They act as if you've lost your mind. But the word of God is a constant whisper in your ear that keeps you focused. It's only when the rain first beats on the roof and you rush your family and the animals inside, do you realize that you've missed something critically important. You just close the door on the rest of humanity. Hold up in the arcs dark and cavernous inside, you review the directions repeatedly to see where you went wrong. Suddenly, you see what you failed to see before. With your singular focus on following directions, you missed that in the opening and closing of the directions, God presented an apocalyptic vision of the world. And now, it's too late to do anything to help all those you left behind. All you can do is monitor the sea and pray. This is the fate of Noah. God told Noah exactly what to do, but God also told Noah why. Noah focused on the what and bypassed the why. The directions he was given form a unique and unusual passage because the Tanakh rarely offers concrete recommendations. Abraham was told to go to another country and start a nation with no GPS. Moses was commanded to free the Jews from slavery and take them out of Egypt with no map and no guidance other than a staff. Esther was told by Mordecai to save her people but was given no script. Ruth made a covenantal commitment to Judaism without any explicit instructions. Why is it that Noah of all people was given such clear guidelines? There's a powerful framing to God's technical instructions every few lines God explicitly told Noah about the moral state of the world. Noah responded by taking out his tools and concentrating on the skylights. Noah missed the larger driving factor behind the situation. Rashi notes this and cites a passage of Talmud from Sanhedrin 108b to support his reading. There are numerous ways, Rashi notes, that God could have saved Noah. Why select an ark? So that the men of the generation of the flood it says, might see him constructing it for 120 years and would ask him, what do you need this for? And so that he might answer them, the Holy One, blessed be he, is about to bring a flood upon the world. Perhaps they might repent. According to the Talmud, the ark's significance was not in its use during the flood, but its very existence long before the water hit. Noah's neighbors would be curious about this building project, how could they not be? and badger him with questions. Noah could use this conversational opportunity to discuss the larger forces in society that prompted this task, and perhaps convince others to repent. They could have all built arcs, every last one. The ancient seas could have, without much imagination, been filled with many other arcs, captained by all of Noah's questioners. But if any such conversations existed, they are not recorded in our sedra. Noah was righteous, one medrash states, in his generation. This is both compliment and criticism. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs in Lessons in Leadership concludes that Noah was a good man who was not a leader. He was, in the words of leadership experts Ron Heyfetz and Marty Linsky, a master of technical leadership. He focused on what he had to do logistically but it ironically blinded him from seeing what it is he really had to do adaptively. Adaptive leaders do more than solve problems. They examine causes, assess the risks they need to take, and anticipate challenges and resistance. They learn the skills that will help them manage contingencies and crises. When Noah left the ark, he offered a sacrifice, an act of giving to repair a world once flooded with theft and lawlessness. But Noah also planted a vineyard, produced wine, and got drunk in his tent. The enormity of the trauma he experienced was simply overwhelming. We understand his desire to lose himself in obliviousness. Drinking might have temporarily numbed Noah to all he ignored when building the ark, but at some time the sobering reality had to set in. Noah had to construct a new world immune to the moral challenges of the one he left. His technical skills would be of little use. Everything about the new world required adaptive leadership. One day, when my grandchildren are ready, I will tell them the whole story of Noah and remind them to listen to directions and always ask why and what they can do to help. Because that's what leaders do. Simon Sinek, in Start With Why, How Great Leaders Inspire Everyone to Take Action, writes that regardless of what we do in our lives, our why, our driving purpose, cause, or belief, never changes. Leaders who only ask what questions, as Noah did, are liable to forget the why. But it's always the why that catalyzes true and meaningful change, one raindrop at a time.